bum bum bottom 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 bum bum
Lisa, when you have migraines, your sense of smell becomes, becomes very keen. Very keen, and you had recently had a migraine, so I dismissed that smell situation smell. as like, oh, at least it's just, you know, don't worry about it. It's going to go away. Just ignore it for now. But there was no ignoring that cloud of dangerous Stink. odors. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we had an hour drive home. It was so like before, you know, we did like a quick rush through the car looking for trash. Like, oh, like here's maybe a McDonald's an wrapper. avocado like rolled out of the grocery bag underneath a chair or something. We found like a bottle of Galvascon, the liquid Galvascon <laughs> in the cor- the little pocket in the Has door. Has that gone bad? Has, yeah. Pop it open. Smells good. Still going to throw so, it away. We threw everything away. We couldn't find the source of the stink. Lisa went upstairs with our purchases from Second and Charles. I continued to clean in the car. And then I came up to the, the apartment and Lisa threw this Dolly Parton bag in my face. And she's like, smell my bag. And I was like, oh, my God, it smells like rotten milk. It was horrible. So apparently, I guess their shipment got a little damp. Well, yeah. And the mildew situation. But it was, it was so foul. real how stinky something so clean can be. Because so, it looked yeah. so crispy and fresh and nice. But it smelled I hope that was not an omen for things to come. It does feel like a metaphor now that you describe it, right? (laughs) Like 2023, it looks fresh and crispy, but there is already something moldering. There is an underlining stink. in there that is not good. (laughs) So, yes. uh, Now, we could focus on the Dolly Parton bag as an ominous omen for the new year, or we could focus on our New Year's intentions that we put together at the start of the year, and we've already started to act on them. I love the new year. I love the idea of a fresh start. And I try not to make resolutions because resolutions are like, it's going to be this way forever. And if I don't do it on January 2nd, then I'm a failure and a bad person. So I like to start my new year with kind of loose intentions. So like this year, I want to be more generous. I want to be more kind. I want to be more present and mindful in the decisions that I make. And we've been going on a series of walks over the last two years. Like in the pandemic, we discovered a joy for walking. And on one of our paths, there's a little lending library, you know, give a book, take a book. And we always go by, we look in, we rarely see something that we like. We've been telling ourselves, oh, we should bring comics and put it into this lending library, but we never did. But now it's 2023, let's do this. This is one of our intentions. So we went back to our apartment, we gathered up some doubles, uh, an Usagi Ojimbo trade, a Blood on the Tracks manga, some other stuff, and then we loaded up that lending library. Of course, we also put in some comic book couples counseling mm-hmm. stickers, spread that CBCC love throughout the neighborhood, and it just made me feel good. I just love the idea of someone on a walk going up to those libraries like we do, expecting to find nothing and going like, oh man, there are comics in here. (laughs) And just being excited at the idea that there's something a little different that someone is willing to give out of their collection. And I drive a lot for work and I see these little adorable little lending libraries. They look like 
They look like bird houses. Yeah. But they have like a glass front that you can open like a cabinet. So you can like see all of the spines from the outside. And we live in like the suburbs. So these things are like around every corner, it feels. Of course, being the social media maniacs that we are, we snap some photos, we put it up on our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook. And we had a lot of folks respond positively and say, oh man, I wish we had these in our neighborhood. And my response to them was, you probably do. If you go to littlefreelibrary.org and punch in your zip code, it will show you where the nearest lending library is in your neighborhood. It will also show you how to start a lending library in your neighborhood if you own property, of course. Yeah, yeah, if you have tracts of land. Yeah, we would love to start some libraries, but we have no real estate. Under the umbrella of putting comic books in the hands of people who would probably like them, we are starting a film series in collaboration with Four Color Fantasies and the Alamo Draft House Winchester, where we are presenting comic book movies, but then also having the actual comic books that inspired the film. Because we know that tons of people are going out to see these comic book movies, but they just haven't picked up their first comic book yet. And we want to make it so easy to start reading comics. So our first comic book screening will be at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia on the 29th of this month. Mm -hmm. It will be Howard the Duck, the very first Marvel movie and a movie that longtime comic book couples counseling listeners know we love genuinely, unironically. And Eric from Four Color Fantasies, which is an Eisner-nominated comic book shop, will be on hand to sell comics. We're going to give away comics. We're going to do trivia. We're going to give away toys. Everyone is walking away with a Howard the Duck for President Button. It's going to be so much fun. And Eric is going to be doing so much more than just being a humble vendor. He's going to be a representative of those of you who hate the Howard the Duck movie <laughs> and are saying, we would love to come see a comic book movie and also celebrate comics, but that movie is terrible. Eric hates it and he's gonna be there. Yeah, we're gonna have some conversation and we're gonna hopefully grab a few folks after the screening and get their thoughts on mm -hmm. the mic and put those in a future Comic Book Couples Counseling episode. Episode. Uh, it's a 12-month series to start, so we're doing one screening a month for 2023, hopefully beyond. Our February screening hasn't been solidified yet. We were so close, friends, to screening Friday Foster starring Pam Greer based on the newspaper strip. But, you know, sometimes the people who own the rights of these things make it challenging and ask for too much damn money. <laughs> and we had to pass on Friday Foster. So we're working out what the second comic book couples counseling comic book movie will be at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia. But it's going to be interesting. It's going to be weird. It's going to be a little fun. Just cross your fingers for us because I think a lot of you will be really excited if our February release comes through. The picking of these first few movies of the film series feels so precious because we are really trying to build a thesis statement of just like film is a medium, comics is a medium. It can be part of every genre. There's a comic book for everyone. But also, 
we we have to prove that we can fill a theater yeah. with comic book fans, with movie fans who are going to buy food, buy tickets, hang out, maybe buy a few drinks at the bar. It's capitalism, baby. They need your jingle jangle. We promise if you make the drive out to the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester like we will be doing, it's not a short trip for us, we will make it worthwhile for you. This is going to be an event. Every screening is going to be an event. We want it to be a party atmosphere and, and a community atmosphere. And don't forget, if you are a CBCC patron, you get in for free. Just message us. We will get you a ticket. Look at us making promises, talking about the future. Two feet firmly in 2023, clutching our brand new Dolly Parton bags, but wafting around us <laughs> like a foul odor is the ghost of 2022's past because we have unfinished business. We still have to do our second half of our stampies. No, this is not a terrible odor. It's a very fragrant, flowery smell. It's delicious, it's the, Lisa. It's the smell of friendship. As was the case with part one, We've invited on some friends to help us celebrate 2022. And kicking off this episode are the Comics Collective. Yes, Dallas, Lexi, and Anne declaring their favorite comics of 2022. Hello, we are the Comics Collective podcast. Mm -hmm. And we are so happy to be here on this wonderful end of the year episode for our friends at Comic Book Couples Counseling. So there are three of us. I am one of the hosts, Dallas. I'm Alexis. And I'm Anne. And every week we go over our favorite comics and graphic novels. And right now we are going to break down for you our favorite comics of the year. Now we rarely agree on anything as mm -hmm. a group. And so we have three picks for our favorite <laughs> books we read this year. And you're all just going to have to hang on for it. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we barely agree. I think we can all agree. We all enjoy these books. Um, but mine's the right answer. My my answer is Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Um, this is the comic that, as a DC fan, I wish DC did all the time, every day, every month, every week. It is perfect in every way, shape, and form. The art from Bill Chris Evely and Matthias um, Lope, absolutely gorgeous. Every page is breathtaking and stunning. And it's one of the books that you just want to stare at for hours and hours. And you can take in so much detail in every single page. And the story that Tom King tells with Kara as this really tragic figure who is still doing the right thing, who is still soldiering on and just deal the ways it talks about dealing with grief and trauma and how you carry on and not make that the center point of your whole life is really, really powerful and impressive. And I think it is a monolith of wonderful storytelling that should stand the test of time. And I hope like 10 years from now, we'll all look back and be like, that was one of the greatest comics that DC's ever done. So that's my pick for the year. I love that. That was such a good book. Such a good episode, too. Everybody should go listen oh, to yeah. that. But <laughs> I, I'm Lexi, everyone. And my top pick for comic of the year has to be Invincible. I have never read that before. This is my first time going through. We did a big, long read series of it for our podcast. Mm -hmm. And I can just say I have never read anything like that. 
I'm a big fan of superheroes, but Invincible is just so far above the rest. It's just a story that I feel like has something for everyone. There's so many dynamic characters. They all have their own personalities most of the time. And <laughs> unless your name's Adam Eve for the middle part, <laughs> tragic. She makes a comeback, though. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's so filled of so many characters, their relationships, their dynamics, Um, It brings into question people's morals, the way they think on things. And it's just such a book that has such a deep underlying story that's just amazing. I would hand that book to anybody and be like, buckle up, be ready, (laughs) friends, because I wasn't and it'll get you in so many ways. So I 10 out of 10 would recommend that sucker. I mean, as the only cool person on this podcast. I'm here to talk about a not superhero book. So I want everyone to keep it in their minds here. Okay. So far we've had two people. One said sad beige toys for sad beige boys is her favorite book of the year. And then we had one person say, have you ever heard of this brand new comic invincible? It came out in 2003 and movie of the year. Number one, best comic. So here I am bringing it home. The actual answer is always never from Jordi Lefebvre. I'm so sorry. I'm not French. <laughs> I'm trying my darndest. This comic is incredible. And I think if you're listening to comic book couples counseling, this is the comic for you. This is my oh, yeah. ad to Brad and Lisa. They also have to read it and tell me how great it is and how pretty I am for recommending it. It is a love story told in reverse chronological order. So the first page is the last moment of the story, and we work backwards through the life and story of our two protagonists, and we find out about them, their relationships, the kind of people they are. And it is one of those magic comic books that captures what it feels like to be in love. You read it, and you feel Mm -hmm. all the emotions that they're feeling You feel love for the people in your life, and it makes you savor the little moments in your life that you might overlook otherwise. I think that this comic book captured so well what comics can do that nothing else can in their control of time and presentation. And I think everything came together to tell what will easily be Mm. one of my favorites of all time. Uh, okay, I'll give it to you. That's a really, really good one. We're, We're just great people with sexy taste. So what can I say? Listen, all right, so we've hijacked enough of your time. Thank you so much. We're glad to be here. Brad and Lisa are some of our favorite people, and happy holidays. Thanks. Dallas is pretty cool, and that pick for Always Never is excellent, and a comic that we should definitely cover on Comic Book Couples Counseling at some point. I think the only reason I have not read it is full-on Obliger Rebellion. Like, (laughs) I've overcommitted to reading too many comics, and of course I should read that book, of course, which is why I haven't gotten it gotten to it yet and you're going to yes i am of course and i'm gonna love it probably and i'm gonna regret not including it as one of my stamps. and i love lexi's rebel tendency of going <laughs> i'm not gonna pick a book from 2022 i'm gonna pick a book from 2003 there are no laws invincible is an epic series we love that one too we will cover that on comic book couples counseling at some point as well but i gotta say for me personally and i think for lisa as well And Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, is right up there as one of our favorite comics of 2022. Now, most of the series did come out in 2021, and we celebrated it on last year's Best of Comics episode. But we can celebrate it again. 
Yeah, we can, especially if we're holding hands with Anne. So we're starting part two of the Stampies with Writer of the Year this time. And once again, we're giving it to Tom King because of comics like Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, The Human Target, Batman, Catwoman, Gotham City, Batman Killing Time, and maybe most importantly for comic book couples counseling, Love Everlasting. We fell in love with Love Everlasting from its origin as a Substack comic and as it has manifested itself into the real world with floppies. And I cannot wait to have a trade yeah. of this book. Well, we only got five issues this year of Love Everlasting, and we're only starting to scrape the surface of what is actually happening in this series. But as we know it right now, our poor heroine Joan is waking up every issue in a new genre, a new romance subgenre. Tom King is having so much fun looking backward paying homage to those 50s era romance comics, but also kind of eradicating them at the same time. What Love Everlasting is eradicating is the idea of the happily ever after. Yeah. We read these old romance stories, and the second the dude is like, will you marry me? The story is over. And we just go like, well, and then they lived happily ever after, and everything's great. And what Tom King and Elsa Chartier are doing is saying like, no, Right after that moment, the rug is pulled right out from under her and she is sent spiraling into some other wild reality. And Joan has no idea how long she's been doing this, how many fiancés she's gone through. She just starts with this haunting feeling of like, Deja vu. There and is a Groundhog Day quality to the story, but the story's tone is so much more vicious and hot-blooded. Because like, Joan is being used as a tool. She finds out that, actually, I'm not living my life. I'm serving some kind of other bigger narrative that I have no choice but to submit to. And the most painful thing about it is that she feels the love and she feels the swell of passion and commitment to each of these fiancés every single time. And every time she's ripped from that narrative, something is taken away from her. And this is her saying like, my love is mine. My love is not something to be used. My, my love is my strength. And, and I, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to let that happen anymore. Something has to change. And if we're talking about our most anticipated comics of 2023, the back half of Love mm. Everlasting has to be it. Because right now with issue five, she's starting to wake up to the machinations of what is manipulating her. And she mad. It feels huge. So with Tom King being our writer of the year, we need to talk about our artist of the year. And to do that, we got to bring in another really rad podcast, the Tencent Takes podcast. Mike and Jessica are here with their favorite comics of 2022. Hey, Brad and Lisa. This is Mike Thompson from Tencent Takes. And Jessica Frazier. Hello. So Jessica, what was your favorite comic of 2022? Mine is a comic from the publisher Mad Cave, and it is called The Last Session, and it was the first issue that I picked up. So it was written by Jasmine Walls. The artist was Dozer Draws, and letterer was Micah Myers. And it was an absolutely fabulous comic, and it starts off with 
a club, basically an LGBT club, whose president doesn't show up. So everybody decides to form a D&D group instead. And so years later, they're still playing this game. They haven't really been able to finish it. But the dungeon master thinks that he has an ending for the game. And so he invites everyone back together and there's a new player. So there's a little bit of drama about this new player being there because it's somebody's significant other. And so there's that dynamic shift. But a lot of the comic is actually acted out as their characters, which is super fun. And it was just such a great, great issue. That's awesome. I remember you talking about this on an episode of Dollar Bin Discoveries for us. Hey, Mike, what's your favorite of 2022? You and I talked about Savage Avengers at one point and how I was really enjoying the first series that Marvel was doing. It wrapped up at the beginning of this year, and it felt pretty perfect the way that Jerry Duggan wrapped up his story. This tale of Conan in the modern day, and eventually his misadventures wound up roping in most of Marvel's heroes and Kang the Conqueror of all people. And it was weird, and it was funny, and it was epic in all the ways that the best Conan stories are. And then we got a second volume that started this year, and it's written by David Pepos and illustrated by Carlos Magno. And it's also perfect, but in different ways. This time around, Conan finds himself pursued by a Deathlock, which are these time traveling cyborg assassins. And he winds up thrown through time alongside Electra and Cloak and Dagger and the Black Knight and Anti Venom and the Hulk Verine, which is a thing I did not know about until now. But <laughs> sure, why not? So far, the group has found themselves in the Hyborian Age, and then the second story arc has them stranded in 2099, and they interact with other members from these eras. And it's not overtly as funny as the first volume, but it's very fun. And there are a lot of really cool ideas about what these characters are able to do and who they can become. And it's been just an absolute blast to read so far, I think. The best superhero stories are the ones where creators aren't limited by established character rules about what they can and can't do. And so stories like this allow creators to sit there and explore alternate timelines and mess with the status quo. And I love it. And so this new Savage Avengers series is basically breaking all the rules in pursuit of an interesting story, which I love. And also, I cannot say enough good things about the art. It's just banging. Well, yeah, that sounds like a winner. Yeah. <laughs> so, Brad and Lisa, thank you, as always, for bringing us in to talk about anything with you guys. And we're looking forward to hanging out with you in episodes next year. Heck yeah. Thanks for having us and happy end of 2022. Yes. Thanks, Mike and Jessica from Tencent Takes. That last session book sounds so fun. It came out in 2022. And I didn't even, I like, Jessica was the first person I've ever heard talk yeah, about same. it. Yeah, same. And then uh, Mike and Savage Avengers, I think that is a great transition into our favorite artist of the year because their story also has to do with jumping timelines and stuff. Yeah, I think we should just stick with Love Everlasting and champion Elsa Chartier as artist of the year. Her work 
reminds me so much of Darwin Cook. Yeah, that like reminds you of an era, but is still like somehow current and outside of time altogether. One foot in the past, one foot in the present. You get all of that like yummy warmth of nostalgia, but all of the surprise of seeing something that's entirely new. When we had them both on the podcast to talk Love Everlasting, it was clear that Tom King was having a conversation about the past, specifically those romance comics of the 50s. But Elsa Chartier, she wasn't having that same conversation. So while her art does have this retro nostalgic feel, she herself isn't digging into the past. Her work is not referential. It's not winky winky. It's incredibly immediate. I feel like she's thinking like a novelist or like a filmmaker. She's like setting the scene, relating to her characters, relating to Joan and going like, how does Joan's actions relate to the setting? How does Joan's expression or body language uh, communicate what she's going through or what the other characters are going through? And her sequential storytelling has this propulsion to it mm -hmm. that is just rocketing the reader through the narrative. And her character work, you know, you it's so evocative. Feel Joan's agony, her rage, her excitement, like her confusion. Her confusion, yeah. Elsa Chartier does have a cinematic quality to her. And it's not surprising that she and James Tinney IV are doing a short film together. Oh, no Room way. service. She's doing all the storyboards for that. It was announced uh, in the Hollywood Reporter earlier this year. They've launched a Kickstarter campaign. And like the other great thing about Elsa Chartier is she's such a great teacher. Mm -hmm. She loves talking about comics. She loves sharing what she has learned. And if you are not subscribed to her YouTube channel, you are missing out. The cool thing about talking to her was that uh, she was drawing the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had to like mute her mic so that we could actually hear what Tom King was saying because she was feverishly scribbling and scrabbling away on her pad. And that was kind of cool to be there while she was creating. If anything is a testament to the um, volume of labor between a writer and an artist is that we've done a lot of interviews, well, not a lot, but a handful of interviews where the artist is drawing yeah. while we are talking. Because, they have to. Yeah, and um, all I ask of these artists is while you're making the magic happen, in our Zoom room, can we please just move the placement of the camera so we can see what you're working on? Because <laughs> it's so intriguing and all we hear is scratchy scratch. They don't want us to know. They yeah. don't want to share that gold. Thanks to her work on Love Everlasting as well as November, Elsa Chartier has become one of those artists where I will follow them to whatever project they do next. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see Love Everlasting wrap up. I also am, you know, curious what room service is going to be. Of course, I don't want her to leave us for Hollywood. I'm sure it pays really well out there, but stick to comics, Elsa. We need you here. This is also me saying that I miss Guy Davis. Also, Ethan Young. Ethan Young's coming back to comics, Yay! though. Yay! Ethan Young is back in comics. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's going to do it for our Artist of the Year. Uh, we are now going to transition into another category. I won't spoil what that category is, but to help us get into that frame of mind, we are bringing on Dan Gavazdan of the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. Hey, Brad and Lisa, it's Dan Gavazdan from the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. I'm always thrilled when you invite me on for these end of the year recommendations lists or our favorite comics from the year 2022. I had so many amazing experiences in the realm of comics this year. There's just too many to talk about. I'm sure many of your other contributors have talked about 
all kinds of different books that uh, people loved. I mean, I don't think any of my choices are really all that surprising. I loved The Many Deaths of Layla Starr and Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Amazing books that I continue to revisit. But since I host a Spider-Man podcast, I always like to come in and recommend what's been going on in the world of Spider-Man that I think is notable. And I think... This year's kind of exciting because for the first time in a decade, I think I can, without reservation, recommend Amazing Spider-Man as my favorite Spider-Man title in the year 2022. This year saw the end of the Nick Spencer run and the start of the Zeb Wells run, but most notably the Zeb Wells John Romita Jr. run. I mean, this book took me right back to what I love about Spider-Man comics. And I know there's all this controversy on the internet around Mary Jane and what's going on there, but I ask anybody who hasn't picked this up yet to forget all of that, like ignore the controversy and the loud people on Twitter and go read some Zeb Wells, John Romita Jr. comics. They are fabulous. Just simple stories of Spider-Man morality and what it means for your past choices to catch up to you, your sins, your uh, mistakes, all the hard choices you've had to make and being made to face them again. We're still kind of seeing this all play out, but uh, so far it's been a lot of fun seeing a big twist here that Norman Osborn is a good guy or isn't he? You know, there's just so much going on in this comic that's so much fun, but at the heart of it is an amazing voice for Peter Parker from Zeb Wells and the brilliant artwork from John Romita Jr. It's just fun to say that Amazing Spider-Man is great again. And so that's my favorite thing I've been reading in the year 2022. I can't tell you what a relief it is as a listener of the Amazing Spider-Talk that Dan and Mark are enjoying Amazing Spider-Man again. And I'm right there with them. I have loved what Zeb Wells has brought to Peter Parker and his cast of characters. And I love what Dan had to say about ignoring the controversy, ignoring the loud people on Twitter, and just read the comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my intention for 2023. Read the comics, stay out of the discourse. Acknowledge the discourse, but don't let it ruin a good time. Yeah, yeah. Very hard sometimes, though, Lisa. That's why I just ignore the discourse. Yeah, that's fine, too. That's totally legit. (laughs) Use those mute buttons on your social media platforms. Tend your garden. What is interesting to me, if you go back to the Stampies part one mm-hmm. and the categories that we've discussed already with writer of the year and artist of the year, we have not celebrated any superhero comics so far. Oh. And that feels wrong. Yes. So we created a whole category, best superhero comic. And for us, it was very hard to narrow it down to just one. We did it, but we also just want to mention real quick an honorable mention to Fantastic Four Full Circle from Alex Ross. It is a dang masterpiece. The Thing, The Next Big Thing by Walter Mosley and Tom Riley, also an amazing comic. Fantastic Four in general, the current Ryan North run is really good. But we're not going to talk about the Fantastic Four. We're going to jump from the Marvel Comics universe over to the DC Comics universe. And we're going to not talk about a Batman comic, but a Batman-adjacent comic. Our pick for the best superhero comic of 2022 is Catwoman Lonely City by Cliff Chang. Is Catwoman really a superhero? Because one, she has no powers, therefore not super. She isn't even super rich like Batman, so I circumvent that argument. She's pretty rich. Uh, I guess she's doing pretty well, but 
The reason she's doing so well is because she's a thief and a villain sometimes and a anti-hero at best. I am offended that you think that the super in superhero only refers to strength and powers. Super can also refer to their morality and the struggle that Selena Kyle is going through in this book to be a better person is pretty darn super, Lisa. I didn't really believe what I was saying. I was playing devil's advocate and um, I lost. I lost the game of devil's advocate, which is how it should happen. Yeah, you know my relationship with my father and how much I hate devil's advocate, Lisa. <laughs> I know you do, and yet I push your buttons because I love you. I am such a mark for stories that take a superhero and project them into the future so we can explore what they may be like as elder characters. Books like The Dark Knight Returns, like Wonder Woman Dead Earth, like Catwoman Lonely City. And I really appreciate the version of Selena Kyle that Cliff Chang gives us here. The first issue alludes to Fool's Night, an apocalyptic event that saw the death of Batman. And 10 years later, Selena Kyle walks out of prison and finds a Gotham City run by Mayor Harvey Dent. And Cliff Chang seemingly wants to have this conversation about what good was Batman actually doing for this city versus what good Bruce Wayne could have done with his wealth. But the comic also doesn't just end at that kind of cliche thought experiment that we, you know, circle over and over again on Twitter. For me, Catwoman Lonely City still challenges the way I think about Batman. And and I and I'm not completely sure if this is the way that Cliff Chang intended. Because upon his death, of course, Bruce Wayne, very thorough, has everything in place for uh, his legacy. So his money goes to Gotham City, which Harvey Dent uses to militarize the police. He also uses the um, artifacts of Batman. He's hacking his programming. He's copying his image, more or less, to continue the legacy of Batman as a form of um, intimidation and policing. But he also leaves clues for Selena Kyle to keep the vigilante aspect going. So Gotham, even after Batman is gone, is going to continue to have these checks and balances to keep the festering criminal situation at bay of the police being constantly challenged by the vigilantes. And I wonder, like, is it moral then for Batman to make himself, like as an individual, so critical to Gotham at large that when he is removed from the equation, Gotham is required to either keep him in place, if only in legacy, or just start Gotham City over from scratch because this back and forth of government and criminal policing, like vigilante justice, is not working and has never worked. Yeah, I love that. But the other thing that Catwoman Lonely City does is it creates a deeply personal story because mm -hmm. it is very much a Selena Kyle story and it is very much a story about her grief having lost Bruce Wayne. And while she is struggling with all the questions that you're talking about, she is interacting with all these other leftovers of Gotham, Edward Nigma, uh, Killer Croc. Like, has there ever been a better Killer Croc than the Killer Croc that we have in Lonely City? No, I think not. So while the story is incredibly compelling thematically, 
it ultimately secures my love through its characters and the internal turmoil that is all happening with every single one of them. I think that by telling a personal story about Catwoman, we also get to take personal lessons for ourselves. Just like we get the big ideas of talking about Gotham and how is true justice achieved? You think of like, you know, my present cannot last forever. I am aging. We have known that Batman and Catwoman have always kept each other in the back of their minds as their future plans. Like what I love Batman and Catwoman the most when they are hot and heavy for each other, but they also know that the way things are right now, they cannot truly have a partnership. There's always a wall between them. Because of their oppositional principles. We did a four episode series on the romantic relationship of Bruce and Selina. And I think we could do a coda to those four episodes using Lonely City as our spine. I, but I, for me, for Catwoman, not having Bruce Wayne there as her retirement plan. Now that I've done my mission, I can now have some happiness. She is forced to reckon with like, how do I continue being Catwoman as my, like, as my knees are going bad yeah. and my speed is decreasing. And in all of these very concrete ways, I'm getting worse, yeah. you know, like we all are. She's gotta go Batman Beyond. She's gotta become the teacher, right? But then also she has to foster some happiness in her present so that by the time she gets to that retirement place and this place of peace, she has a nest there yeah. that she has created. And the answer that Cliff Chang gives to that point, and I don't wanna spoil it, is surprising and really beautiful as well. And I don't think we can finish talking about Catwoman Lonely City without talking about how gorgeous this comic is. Cliff Chang is always an artist that we have fond over. And now to get a complete work like this one, it does feel elevated because it is just such an artistic expression from a singular voice. Cliff Chang is all out there with Lonely City, and it is a special situation for every reader to pick up this book. He has such a tremendous fluency when it comes to Gotham, and in a way where when he is operating in that place, he is extremely comfortable. Yeah, yeah. One thing I love especially about Catwoman Lonely City is how freaking stylish yes. it is. This is where I hope you were going. Yeah. <laughs> when everybody is wearing DC merch, but they're wearing DC merch in a place where Batman is a reality. You know, like there is um, one character who is- OG Beast. And she is wearing this Superman Supreme- yeah. Um, knockoff where it says super comma man. And I'm like, I want that. I want Killer Croc's Kanga hat. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Winston is wearing a Black Adam t-shirt that yep. makes Black Adam look way cooler than the <laughs> latest movie did. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Cliff Chang, like he should be working for DC Comics' merch department for sure. No, because then we would take him away from the comics, which should be priority Fair. number one. But what does need to be manufactured, stat, so I can have it in my wardrobe and on my body is <laughs> the top that Catwoman wears for sneaking around. It's like her non-combat athleisure 
hoodie. So she's wearing her cat suit with a pair of like sneaks cause she's sneaking around. And she's wearing this like oversized charcoal gray cowl necked stovepipe sleeved hoodie. It's pretty cool. That is yellow on the inside, which is so cool. Such a cool detail. And I was like, Lululemon, where is this? <laughs> Athletica, I want this. There is no hoodie in this shape, but it is so grounded in today's fashion that it just needs to happen. I believe you and your mother have already exchanged texts about possibly crafting such an outfit for the next San Diego Comic-Con. I want her to sew me things, but I'm still her baby. She's like, you can help me and learn. And I'm like, sure, I can use a <laughs> pair of scissors, but you are sewing this thing for me so that I can uh, do a little... Uh, late 30s cosplay. There's no character more appropriate. Every time we get a new round of DC solicitations, we see the aggro that the online community throws at the publisher because we get one Batman comic after another. There's like a hundred Batman comics out there and not enough comics about the Atomic Knight or whatever. And I totally feel that. I understand we could use fewer Batman titles. That being said, when they publish books like Catwoman Lonely City or Batman Catwoman or Batman Killing Time and you come away going like, yeah, Batman is the best superhero. I can't be too mad about it. I have a little pet theory that I keep in a small box beside my bed. <laughs> and then before I go to bed, I just whisper sweet nothings to it. And that is what keeps us so intrigued by Batman as a superhero is that we know deep down in our hearts, that what he's doing is actually wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, you might be onto something there. And not to sidetrack us any further, but I think that's one of the reasons why the recent The Batman movie works so well is because Bruce Wayne at the end of that story goes like, huh, maybe this vengeance thing isn't what I should be pursuing. And maybe it doesn't matter how rich I am, I can't take every matter into my own hands. I can't make myself the linchpin of every situation. It just, it's its a house built on sand. Yeah, yeah. So Catwoman, Lonely City, our favorite superhero comic of 2022. Leaving that category now for, ooh, the scariest comic of the year. And to help us discuss that topic, we're inviting the Dear Watchers podcast onto the show. Two very scary, spooky friends of ours. Hello, happy holidays, happy new year, Brad, Lisa, and all of the comic book couples counseling fans like we are. This is Guido from Dear Watchers. And this is Rob from Dear Watchers. We're an omniversal comic book podcast where we do a deep dive into the multiverse. Every Monday, we travel with you through the stories and the worlds that make up the omniverse of fictional reality we all love, and we are very excited to share with you some things we loved from this year, 2022. Yes, last year I said my favorite thing I read was Red Room by Ed Pisker. And guess what? I'm going to say it again. And knowing Red Room, that means I'm definitely on a list somewhere. But I think it's a list, <laughs> I think it's a list of people who like good comics. And the subtitle for series two of Red Room was Trigger Warnings, which is a very appropriate subtitle for this series. And my favorite issue was issue number three. It's got a little bit of Island of Dr. Moreau, a little Heart of Darkness, even a little White Lotus in there. Really great issue. Really made me think it's really stayed with me ever since I read it months ago. And I take the title to heart because it's one comic I don't read, <laughs> though I do read hundreds of others. 
So I'm going to cheat a little. Sorry, Brad and Lisa. I'm going to share two things I love from this year. It was so hard to narrow them. So one quick limited series called New Think from AWA by Greg Hurwitz and a bunch of artists, including Mike Deodato Jr. It is a really relevant, incredibly interesting Black Mirror style anthology about technology and our modern world. I found myself buying multiples of every issue to gift to people all the time. But I wanted to choose an ongoing and exciting adventure, more superhero title that I look forward to every month, and that is Boom Studios' The Vampire Slayer from Sarah Gailey and Irene Flores. Because having read every Buffy comic there ever has been as a mega Buffy fan, I have to say this is the best title to capture the spirit of Buffy, but tell a different story outside of the canon of the TV show. So highly recommend New Think, collected in trade paperback, and The Vampire Slayer out every month. Take a bite out of those comics this holiday season. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for having us. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Guido and I, kindred spirits. I also know my limitations and therefore have never opened Red Room. <laughs> I read the first issue, maybe the first two issues of Red Room. And yeah, it's not for me. Rob, you're demented. <laughs> Though maybe Rob can take that as a compliment. He's welcome to because we do love him as well. And I am very interested in Guido's pick about the vampire slayer. Both of us have dabbled in Buffy in the past, and it would be nice to explore those concepts minus Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. I also love that Guido and Rob accidentally set up our next category so well, Scariest Comic of 2022. And for us, that was actually a pretty difficult decision because we wanted to highlight everything that Scott Snyder has been doing with his Comixology Originals slash Best Jacket Press books. Books like We Have Demons, Canary, <laughs> Barnstormers. They all have a creepy element to them, yet they're all so incredibly unique. And frankly, like Scott Snyder could have been our writer of the year as well, especially when you consider this title right here. And we only got one issue of it this year, but man, it left an impression. It's the Book of Evil number one, done in collaboration with the artist Jock. And Lisa and I read it right before bed, and we both had trouble sleeping afterward. I think what's so gut-twisting about this book is that it is a post-apocalyptic story that is like 1984 meets Dawn of the Dead, mm. meets like Raul Dahl almost. <laughs> it's yeah. like, uh, this, uh, it's it's hard to come across a, an apocalyptic story where it's like, okay, well, this is new. This yeah. is actually different. Yeah, and it's basically a prose short story that is illustrated by Jock. And you know, I'm a comics guy. I resist prose. I I just want my pictures. And so I was a little disappointed when I saw the format of the Book of Evil and I didn't immediately read it when we got a copy. Uh, but Scott Snyder, he's like, Brad, uh, you know, stop being such a snob. Mm. Well, like what I like about the Book of Evil is that he is creating an artifact. Like between the illustrations and then the design and then the text, like it is... He's creating the object that the main character is holding. It's a journal. Yeah. But the comic wouldn't work without Jock's contributions. Right. There are story elements that are revealed through the illustrations. 
And while it's not traditionally sequential, it's a little more sequential than, you know, text on one side, picture on the right side. Mm, yeah. There is interplay. And also, I love that there's an index in the back. And I don't want to spoil it, but I love an index. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't know about the Book of Evil, the plot is it's the future. It's weird. For some reason, when children hit puberty, instead of becoming mutants like the X-Men, they become stark, raving, mad lunatics. Sociopaths. Sociopaths. But society continues, even though the adults, the humans, are now walking around with murderous impulses. It's as if our next level of evolution is human beings without empathy. And so there is a section of the community called the Yoke, where the children who have not yet hit puberty hang out and work together and commune, waiting for the moment in which they become either animals, people who don't become sociopaths, or humans, people who do. And there's only 8% of the populace that remain animals, or what this society calls animals, and they're like the mysterious savages over the hill. People know that they're out there, but they don't see them too often. What really irks me about this story, really frightens me, I just don't see any hope for mm. the, the society that Scott Snyder and Jock have created, because if it is true, if there is some kind of sociopath, like dominant sociopath gene, no matter what happens, survival of the fittest, empathy is dead. Yeah. So, and from what I can tell from what we've already read, there's no other like signs of being a sociopath or not. Like you can't tell by looking at someone whether they're a sociopath or not. It's their actions. So like, is this a situation where we could just educate empathy back into these no. people? No, just doomed. Just I, doomed. Think, I think despair sits at the center of Book of Evil, but where the hope remains is in the two brothers, mm -hmm. where one brother has yet to hit puberty, so we don't know how they're going to be triggered, and the other brother has, and I won't say what side of the fence they fall on, because that's one of the revelations of the first issue, but... That relationship going forward, that's where we're going to find our humanity and our connection and our hope. And, you know, I think a story like this coming out in 2022, a period in time where I think we're all grappling to some extent or another with despair. And also we're seeing other people as like unrelatable monsters. Yeah, yeah. It, the comic is absolutely relevant to the emotions of today. And that's where the excitement around the Book of Evil rests. For everything that it is, do you know what the Book of Evil is not? What? Our favorite best digital release. But it was a digital release. I know, but remember, these categories are arbitrary oh, and yeah. meaningless, and they're just platforms to, to talk about the books that we really, really liked. So leading us into our conversation around the best digital release of 2022 is Vactor of Comic Book Kaiju. Hello, everyone. Vactor here from the Comic Book Kaiju. And if anyone knows me, you know that if there's a list of the top 10 anything in a year, it's going to have Brian K. Vaughn on it for me. He's my favorite writer, always has been, always will be. This year saw some new issues of Saga, but they did take a little hiatus and a little break. But I wanted to focus on my favorite comic of 2022, Brian K. Vaughan and Nico Enrichon. He's Canadian, so I can say it like that. Exploding Giraffes is their sub stack that they did. 
These guys worked together on Pride of Baghdad 15 years ago, haven't worked on anything since, but now they're back together for Spectators, which is a fantastic sci-fi. It I don't even know how to describe it. It's like this otherworldly uh, premise where a group of humans are chosen to become literal spectators in the lives of others. It's kind of like a Truman show meets, you know, interdimensional travel almost. It's like a mind-bending concept that Vaughn executes to perfection. And it's not just the concept that makes spectators such a joy to read, it's the characters. They're all so richly developed and complex, from the hapless protagonist who finds herself thrust into this strange new world to the diverse cast of spectators that she meets along the way. And of course, Nico Henrichon's art is fantastic, stunning, vibrant, uh, got a colorful palette on it, brings this fantastical world of spectators to life. And I also wanted to point out that this is something that Brian K. Vaughn wanted to expose the taboo of sex in our society and kind of pull back the curtain and say, hey, this is art. Everyone thinks about it. Everybody knows about it. Here it is, all natural. So I love Spectators. I love Brian K. Vaughn. I love Nico Enrichon. And I think Spectators is the best comic of 2022. Before I ever butcher a French name on this podcast, I should call up Vactor and say, hey, can you just slide in here with your pronunciation? Yeah, and I think Dallas should hit him up as well. <laughs> so Vactor, what a great pick, my friend. Sounds intriguing, haven't read it. Have not read it. We also love Brian K. Vaughn. We're so excited that Saga is back in our lives, even if certain characters are not. Uh, and we're going to have to check out Spectators, which is definitely not our best digital release of 2022, just like Book of Evil was not our best digital release of 2022. Because but for different reasons, because one we read and one we did not. Friday by Ed Brubaker and Marcos Martin is our favorite digital release of 2022. We were looking, we were searching, we were scrounging and scraping for a place to put Friday Volume 2 because we loved it so much. And how stoked were we when we discovered that it was in fact a digital release so we could use it in this slot. I do really love and appreciate how Panel Syndicate is publishing these single issues because it is a pay to play method where you pay what you think is fair for the issue. So if you wanna pay $4.99 or $9.99 or $1.99, you get the comic for what you're willing to give it. And we did start reading Friday that way, but once Image Comics started publishing them in those digest-sized paperbacks, that became our preferred method because they really do feel great in the hand. You know how much we love to spoon a trade. Plus this size is <laughs> yes. like so nostalgic for me because I read all of those like child solves a crime story. Hardy Boys, Nancy yeah. Drew, Encyclopedia Brown. Encyclopedia Brown was huge for me. Yeah. So if you don't know, the story of Friday is the sidekick of the child detective is all grown up and they're forced to solve a crime on their own without the neighborhood genius. I really want to avoid any discussion of spoilers. I don't think I spoiled no, anything. No, no, you didn't. You didn't. This is me telling myself, Lisa. Did you see how quickly I got you defensive? You got super defensive. Super hedgehog. Roll up, spikes out. The first volume, which came out last year, ends with a big whoa. Mm -hmm. And the first volume is very much in the vibe of Encyclopedia Brown. There are some slight references to a supernatural thing in Friday, 
but they don't focus on it too much. And then the second volume comes out and it's dealing directly with that first book. And then those slight supernatural things are explored a little more openly and surprisingly. Initially, I was actually a little disappointed Same. that the first book didn't have a complete mystery because Encyclopedia Brown would have never left me hanging like that. But now that I have the two volumes, I like never want it to end. And I was a little disappointed as I was reading volume two where it was going, but where it ultimately lands in the last few pages of volume two, I was all in. Mm -hmm. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh. Yeah. Not only do I now like where this book went, which I didn't initially, now I gotta see where it's going. Like the third volume, it's gotta get here real darn soon. I don't know why we lacked faith in that first <laughs> volume because the creators are Ed Brubaker yes. of Reckless yes. and of many other really compelling mysteries that you never want to end. I still wanna cover Fatal on this show. Yes. That's gonna happen hopefully in November of this year. That'll be our Noir-vember pick. And then the artist is Marcos Martin. Genius. Fat Girl Year One. Amazing. Amazing. And I think that he's doing something a little bit different with this, particularly with um, the coloring, who is Muntza Vicente or Vicente. And um, it just, it looks, it's that kind of, you know what I love. I love the nostalgia. Yeah. I love the, the, like, they're doing something a little bit different with, like, the texturing. I And she's just, like, I love her design. Yeah, I think this is Marcos Martin's best work. Mm. And I don't say that lightly because Marcos Martin is one of my all-time favorite artists. And if you like things like Batman Year, uh, Batman, Batgirl Year One, or his work that he did with Dan Slott on the Amazing Spider-Man run. Some of the best Spider-Man stories ever were illustrated by Marcus Martin. If you like that stuff, you gotta be reading Friday because this is next level. Friday is a great comic to give to somebody who doesn't read comics. Agreed. It's also like, it's not um, it's not all ages. No, because there's so many F-words in it. There's a lot of profanity, but I would say it's a strong young adult book. Mm, like, yeah. I would like to give this to somebody like Freddie. Yeah. Yeah, one of our nibblings. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Friday, currently one of our favorite books of, uh, of the year on the stands, ongoing, all that good stuff. We're eagerly anticipating the third volume when it kicks back up. And I think I will go back to buying it digitally because I just don't have the patience to wait for the trade. <laughs> and book three will probably come out at the end of this year. We're going to have both. Crossed. We're going to have both. Yeah, we're going to have both. We don't want to also ruin our integrity by saying this is the best digital release and not reading the digital yeah, release. We're going to read the digital release. We're going to get the trade paperbacks. And when they are ultimately all collected in a really rad hardcover from Image Comics, we're going to get that too. And then we're going to take these copies and put them in a tiny library. Yeah. I wish we could do that with the digitals, but uh, I can't get the, the little <laughs> bites out of my phone. How excited would a child be where they go like, oh man, there's a whole iPad in here. <laughs> <laughs> now getting back to our totally not arbitrary categories, even though we just said that Friday is one of our favorite ongoing series right now, it's not the official selection of our category for best ongoing series. That's right. And to transition us to that selection, we have Adam Reck from the Battle of the Atom podcast, also Comics XF, to name his favorite comic of 2022. I've never felt safer on a Segway. Hey everybody, Adam Reck from Battle of the Atom here. And my favorite book of 2022 was X-Men Red, written by Al Ewing, 
art by Stefano Caselli, Juan Cabal. This book is basically about a bunch of battling and scheming happening on the planet of Mars, uh, which is now known as Araco. If you have not been reading X-Men, this might be a little bit confusing to you. Um, but after Ten of Swords, basically an entire mutant civilization took over the Red Planet thanks to the X-Men. And uh, there's only been nine issues of this book, but what Al Ewing has managed to do with it is absolutely amazing. The Arakai are essentially a war-focused people. That is their entire existence. And now that they don't have war, they have to re-figure out what is going on with uh, their life and their world. And leading them as regent of Arako is Storm. So she's evolving as a character. We get this great stuff with Magneto, with Sunspot, uh, and everyone is scheming, which I also love, right? Because across the current era of X-Men, we've got the Quiet Council on Krakoa, but on Mars, we have the Great Ring. And uh, everybody on this is some kind of warrior in some way. And it's just amazing. Um, it's also a really great sequel to what Al Ewing was doing with the short-lived uh, sword book. So we're getting the scheming of Abigail Brand. We get a really great take on Cable. We're following up on like War of Kings era Vulcan, the reborn Thunderbird is in this in this series. So highly recommend checking it out. The writing is exquisite. The artwork is fantastic, especially when Stefano Caselli is doing it. Um, there's all kinds of weird critters and creatures, gods and what have you. Um, I love characters like Aura Serrata, which is basically like this little, I don't even know how to describe it, but he's basically like this little dude who rides on top of a giant eyeball. Um, so if you're interested in stuff like that, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's one of the two core X-Men books that you, you really have to be reading uh, other than Immortal X-Men. And, um, you know, I, I hope you uh, check it out. So that's my favorite book of 2022. Highly recommend you head over to Comics XF and check out the best of picks of all of my colleagues at comicsxf.com. And if you'd like to hear more X-Men coverage, check out the Battle of the Atom podcast every Monday, where Zach and I are ranking every X-Men story of all time. So uh, we'll see you then. And uh, happy holidays, happy new year. And back to you, Brad and Lisa. Thanks, Adam. After Hickman left and Inferno wrapped up, Lisa and I kind of fell off the X-Men comics. Oops. Al Ewing did bring us back on with X-Men Red and Immortal X-Men. Uh, Kieran Gillen is doing Immortal X-Men. And they are fabulous. And if we were doing a category on best X-Men comics, we would go with X-Men Red and Immortal X-Men. It would be a tie for all the reasons why Adam just stated. But also, I feel like we couldn't do a best X-Men category because we're not reading the other X-Men comics. And I do feel a little guilty about that. But there's just so many X-Men comics. I've never felt like more of a hipster not having more superhero comics. I feel like it's not a true reflection of us. It's just a reflection of 2022 and what we've been up to. I, I mean, I, I think we are like superhero fanatics. We do love superhero comics. But I do think that the Stampies are a true reflection of who we are. And right now, this year, 2022 and probably the year before that like our biggest loves have been the comics outside of the superhero genre 
But that might change with our pick for best ongoing comic book series. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which is That Texas Blood yeah, by yeah, Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips, which is not a superhero comic. Yeah, but in that moment, <laughs> we had a, like a, a little Schrodinger's stampy where it could have been a superhero comic and then also the superheroes are dead. Yeah, no, well, now they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely dead uh, because we are on team Sheriff Joe Bob Coates. Mm -hmm. From the very first issue, Lisa and I have really enjoyed that Texas blood. There's a little Coen Brothers to it, a little uh, Joe Lansdale. This year, however, in 2022, I feel like Phillips and Condon really took their series to the next level with their RQK storyline, a storyline that I found extremely unnerving, especially that first issue in that arc, issue 14, where poor Patty gets the hacksaw. For me, Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips have their priorities, their storytelling priorities in the right place because each of these arcs have these kind of... Um, cultural, pop culture-centered ideas. The first arc is someone has a mental snap. The second arc is satanic panic. This arc is more of a slasher, living along the highway type story. But they use these templates as an opportunity to really get into the characters and go like, how would the sheriff actually feel? How would the people of Ambrose react to having a serial killer roaming about? There are the kind of like try to solve it along story elements going on in that Texas blood. But for me, I just love spending time with the people and going like, and how are you doing? Yeah, when you initially read this arc month to month, you think you're reading a mystery like the first volume was, but you quickly realize, or like by the third volume, you realize it's not a mystery. It really is this story of how does this agent of chaos affect this town and the people in it? It is very character driven. And it's also expanding on the idea of what is bubbling beneath Ambrose County, this little community, this darkness that is breeding underneath everything. And Condon and Phillips seem to want to dig into that greater evil as they are going on. And we were lucky enough to have them on the podcast. We had Chris Condon on the podcast twice this year talking about that Texas blood. And in those conversations, they were teasing that where they're going with that Texas blood is a much grander good versus evil conversation while also not wanting to betray the character work that they're doing with Sheriff Joe Bob Coates and issue 20, which is kind of an epilogue to the RQK storyline, their Christmas special, that really delves into why Sheriff Joe Bob Coates is working so darn hard. We finally get to meet his son, Andy, spend time with his wife, Martha, a little bit, and we get to dive into the imagination of Andy, and that allows Jacob Phillips and Condon to get really playful with the types of stories that they're doing this issue was unlike anything else that that Texas Blood had delivered before and really unlike anything else that we read in 2022 either. That Texas Blood is a story about what it is like having to cohabitate with a fantasy, with a fairy tale. Like in both of our interviews, we talked to Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips 
about like the fantasy that is Texas, like the Camelot that is Texas. The mythology of Texas. Yeah, the literary version of Texas we all have in our heads because we've watched movies and read books and whatever, watched Westerns. And then like the idea that, oh, Texas is also like an actual place yeah. where regular people live. And I think that that is what the Christmas special drives home, that like to Joe Bob going to work and being sheriff is his every day. It is his ordinary. And it is something that is costing him because he's passionate about it, but at the same time, it's breaking his heart every single day. And so that Christmas special reminds Joe Bob of, there is also this fantasy version of you as sheriff mm. where you are grappling with evil and you're triumphant because because you are good and Two. because you are right. Two Gun Common. Mm -hmm. What a great character, a mummy sheriff. If you are looking for a cheap entryway into that Texas blood, picking up issue 20 is a great way to do it. No, I disagree. I say you can start at the number one of any arc. Yeah, okay, okay. But to me, like the, the Christmas special is so much sweeter. Yes. As a counterpoint to the previous- If you had let me finish, Lisa. I will not. What I was going to say was that Texas Blood, you can pick up any trade as the beginning. Yes. But if you start at issue one, you will be rewarded for your efforts. Like the stories do build, the mythology does build. But I think that issue 20, if you're just looking for a 3.99 curious peek into the world, is an it, it like is a satisfying way to start? Like I think anybody could be satisfied by that issue. I think we need to run an experiment. Okay. Um, we'll have a control group. Nobody reads that Texas Blood. We hate those people. <laughs> then we'll have somebody. We'll have a group of people starting with issue twenty, and a group of people starting with one of any arc. And yeah. then we'll we're gonna test your theory because okay. I disagree. Get back to us, listeners. Alrighty, so now we are gearing up for the last two categories of the Stampies. Best Original Graphic Novel and Best Limited Series. And to get us to Best Original Graphic Novel, we're going to have David Brooke from AIPT and the AIPT Comics Podcast name his favorite comic of 2022. David Brooke here from AIPTcomics.com, co-owner, manager, writer, podcaster for AIPT Comics Podcast. And I was asked to discuss my favorite comic of the year. It's so hard. I feel like every year I read comics, they only get better. <laughs> Maybe that's because there's more publishers than ever. Uh, so, you know, it's hard for me to narrow down to one, but I, I, if an easy recommendation, and definitely in my top three of the year, was The Forgotten Blade, TKO's graphic novel that released earlier this year in March. It's a bit of a cheat in a sense because it's, an entire story all done in one and it's an entirely new universe uh, crafted uh, that sort of mixes uh, epic odyssey style fantasy and a sword bearer and a crazy fantastical world that's unlike anything you've ever seen before it's written by si chun who's also the publisher at tko uh, with art by tony fazula and it's just a great action adventure there's a bit of a religious element to it, an anti-religion element to it, um, where a, a, a group of people with this incredible tower have sort of taken over and made up these rules, and the world's gotten worse for it. 
it opens on this incredible battle scene and we find out the main character kind of uh, does the wrong thing and ends up paying for it later. Uh, and next time we see him, he's uh, deep in his cups, uh, trying to probably forget uh, how the world has changed, but eventually takes up his arms and uh, takes the battle to uh, the oppressors. Um, it's just, I think, if that sounds interesting to you, on top of all that, the art is just incredible. The environments are so vivid and real and uh, just so imaginative. And that goes from pay cover to cover. By the end, when we're actually in the tower, there are these amazing structures that are just, you just sit there and linger on the page. I totally recommend this. Uh, oh, not to mention the letters by Jeff Powell are just super good. The word balloons tend to have an edge to them that gives it this um, not so clean line that adds a bit a bite to the words. Uh, it's an edgy sort of style book. The Forgotten Blade is definitely one of my top picks. It's a dazzling fantasy from art to ideas. Uh, totally recommended. And you can find me at No Socialize on Twitter. And you can find AIPT on Hive now, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc., etc. Thanks. Thanks for including your plugs, David. I want people to find you. Yeah, and don't worry, listeners. If you want to find any of these folks, look in the show notes. We've got their handles for all their Twitter accounts. And uh, we have links to all of their websites. And please thank them by going to their podcasts and websites and celebrating the work that they're doing because it is good. David just sold me a book, by the way. Same. Yeah. Neither like, of us have read The Forgotten Blade. I love the idea of an anti-religion fantasy book. I love a hard stance. Another thing that David said that put thoughts in my head was how there are more publishers now than ever, which yeah. is so special and extraordinary. And so many of them have like these very like individualistic points of view, but then also they're all kind of in peril and it's really stressful. TKO is one of the best ones. They're so great. Jalea was our original graphic novel pick of last year from Junie Ba. Mm -hmm. The work that TKO is doing is the Lord's work. Yeah. We called them the Criterion Collection of Comics, and I still stand by that. And I am super proud that they have put that quote on their website. And it's still there, Lisa. Oh, I really? checked the other day. Yes. Uh, I just need it now on their books. Put it on their books. <laughs> put us on your books, TKO. Uh, but yes, Forgotten Blade, we will definitely check that out. Uh, for our pick of best graphic novel of 2022, it is a book that is very dear to the both of us and one that I don't see on enough best of lists this year. And I'm a little disappointed. I yeah, feel like shame on all of you. folks didn't seek this one out and they uh, are missing out. Yeah, they are. We are talking about Tukey Fight for Family, book two in the Tukey series from Jeff Smith. Jeff Smith, hopefully you are all aware, is the creator of the series Bone. Oh, they know that. I mean, they better, right? It's right. one of the best comic books of all time. Top three for me easily, maybe my top. And I do think that the shadow of Bone does loom over everything Jeff Smith has done since. And one of the more awkward moments that I had in 2022 was saying something similar to Jeff Smith and saying like, I was excited by Tukey and I read the first volume and I liked it. But then I loved Tukey volume two. And Jeff Smith was like, oh, so like the first volume, you're like, this is garbage. And I was like, no, 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 that's not what I mean, Jeff Smith. We are, all, we are both haunted 
by uh, faux pas of yeah. interviews past. Totally, totally We just true. wake up in the middle of the night going like, <gasps> Jeff Smith! But we read that first volume of Tukey, and we both really liked it. And we read it when it was single issues, too, before he reformatted it. Uh, to this landscape comic that he is publishing now. But when we got that second volume in, I think like around March, maybe February of this year, and we both read it. And I think we, yeah, we both read it simultaneously. You had it on your iPad. I had it on my iPad. And as we were reading it, we were going like, uh, this is crazy good. This is Jeff Smith as good as he's ever been. If not better. And he is building a mythology quite different from the one that he built in Bone, but on the same kind of level as what he built in Bone. I think that what makes the world of Tukey so rich and so engaging is that it is the direct result of Jeff Smith's actual curiosity about paleoanthropology. His nerddom. Yeah, he, he did a lot of research to make this book to make this fantasy grounded. It's set in the year 2 million BCE, where several species of humanities existed at one time. And what's really wondrous about the book is how Jeff Smith illustrates each of these species and how they all collect around the main character, Tuki, who is inspired by Toshir Mufune's Yojimbo. And what Jeff Smith does is he adopts these various cartooning styles to represent each human species. So you have like different characters who represent different cartooning styles. You can have a character like Quarrel who has a magical quality, who's almost like a bone cousin and he's illustrated in a classic 20s era newspaper strip kind of way. And then you have the more traditional cartooning of Tukey. And then the characters in between those two represent the evolution of cartooning the way that all these characters represent the evolution of man. I think it's also important to point out that each of these different human species from, if you look at them from one direction, they are all in direct competition with each other. Yeah, totally. We know in the present that really only one species of human is going to survive. And, but of course, in this time, they don't know. They don't know who's gonna survive. And so they kind of hate each other and they're in competition. But Tuki, who is in grief for the loss of his family, doesn't really have it in him anymore to compete. He really just wants to survive. And so he's on this quest to Moab, and because he doesn't want to really fight anymore, he creates this little, like, this little family of misfits. So there's Doc, who is Habiline, who is, like, this kind of magic-influenced culture. And then he also has Quarrel, who is this ancient, really fighty, feisty culture. And then... He is also fostering and rescuing these three orphan children who are Homo erectus. And because Tuki allows them to all walk together, they all make their impression on these three children and inspire these three children. And we know that these three children are going to be us. And we need the positive influences of these other cultures to become the humans, the compassionate, the magical, the feisty humans that we are today. 
Currently, there are two volumes of Tukey available, Fight for Fire Volume 1 and Fight for Family Volume 2, but Jeff Smith promises that we're going to get six volumes in total. The first two were kickstarted, so I imagine the next four will be kickstarted as well, but they're also widely available wherever comics are sold, so you can go online and order them. You can go into your shop and get them there. I highly recommend that you do so. The way that Cartoon Books published them, they are widescreen, large, floppy trade paperbacks. You can spread them out on a table, no problem. You can bend that spine, it will not break. They're so much fun to read. Yeah, what they remind me of are like those original, like long form volumes of Calvin and Hobbes. So another, another very nostalgic shape for yes. me. And I like a book that you can lie on your belly and read. Totally, yeah. Just flop it open, feels great. And I really do hope you all give it a shot. You know, since our last episode has dropped, several of you have sent us emails and tweets showing your copies of House Cat Trouble and Jonna and the Impossible Monsters. I feel and like Galaxy. We, and Galaxy. I feel like we've become advocates for those comics. And Tukey, Fight for Family, Tukey as a whole, I want to be a champion for this mm -hmm. book. And I do think Comic Book Couples Counseling listeners will really get something from this. This is a book where you dive into it and you find yourself in it. And it's also just like a ton of fun. It's a big ideas book. It'll open your heart. It'll open your mind. I've, I've already drawn so many lessons out of Tukey. And yeah, get this book. Now, once again, we're hopping on the segue. And we're going to our final. This is our final category, it right? It is our final category. We are leading up to best limited series. And dare I say, our best comic of the year. Absolutely my favorite comic of the year, and I know it's your favorite comic of the year. And one clip leading into this magnificent book is just not enough. No. So we're giving you twice as many clips. You're going to hear from Cat Calamia and Oblivion Bar. Hey guys, this is Cat Calamia, also known as Kamiguno. I am the co-creator of Webtoon Slice of Life and also the creator of Bi-Visibility, a bisexual anthology. And I am so thankful to, to have this platform on one of my favorite podcasts to discuss uh, my favorite comic book of the year, which is Do a Powerbomb. Honestly, anytime anyone asks for a comic book recommendation uh, from this year, what people could pick up at the comic book store, it was Do a Powerbomb. As someone who's not a fan of wrestling or, you know, never had a fandom towards wrestling. I, I kind of picked this up on, on whim. I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. And I don't feel like you need to be a wrestling fan to love this book. Uh, the first issue has so many twists and turns and really tells a wonderful character journey. And throughout the book, we really, really get to see some wonderful character moments. And again, still having those twists and turns. You know, with the first issue that was as good as Do a Powerbomb issue one, you're like, okay, well, how can this book continue to top itself? And, and this is one of those books that continued to get better as issues went on. And also, this is a maxi series, so it's completely done. And I can say it ends just as well as it begins. It's so satisfying as a full circle story and, and just one of the best books on stands from an action point of view, from a storytelling point of view. This is one you should not miss. Hey, everyone. This is Chris Hacker. And this is Aaron Knowles. And we are the host of the Oblivion Bar, a nerd culture podcast. 
Firstly, we want to thank our good buddies Brad and Lisa for allowing us to contribute to their best comics of 2022 episode. You heard it here first, brother. <laughs> if you're hearing Aaron inflection there, that means that we can only be recommending one comic as our favorite comic of 2022. And I think this is not, it's not really a surprising pick, is it, Aaron? I mean, I think this overall has been maybe one of the biggest hits of the year. Uh, we're, of course, talking about Daniel Warren Johnson's Do a Powerbomb. There's no competition. There is no competition. There's nobody that can beat this comic. It's the best comic in the world. <laughs> That's right. So, of course, uh, written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson, colors by Mike Spicer, Russ Wooden over on uh, Letters, and this was an easy pick for us. We've loved this book from the, from the jump. And uh, kind of a shameless plug here for Aaron and I, we had Daniel on the show right before Do a Powerbomb came out and he kind of briefly teased it, talking about this creator-owned series that he was putting out through Image Comics and boy oh boy, did it come through. Uh, Aaron and I have talked about many times here on the show, Daniel Warren Johnson, just one of the greater talents in the industry and in the medium, not only as an artist, but clearly here also showing one of the best uh, like writers from his heart. <laughs> like, it, you know when you pick up a Daniel Warren Johnson book, it is coming from the heart, am I right, Aaron? Absolutely. Do you love finishing moves? I do. Do you love onomatopoeias? Oh, I do. Yes. Then you're going to love this book. It's going to make you tap out with joy, brother. It's going to make <laughs> you enjoy the violence, the speed, the destruction. You've got wrestlers going up against necromancers. You've got gods. You've got superheroes. You've got people with superpowers. You've got people who are just regular, just wrestling for their greatest wish to bring somebody back from the dead, brother. And this comic has it all. I got you for three minutes, brother. I had to throw in a Spider-Man. Three minutes of Playtown. <laughs> Playtime. <laughs> Obviously, this is issues one through seven. I don't think we need to tell anyone, Aaron, at this point that they should be going and reading Do a Powerbomb. But please do if you haven't. I think I, I read somewhere that Daniel said the trade comes out in March of 2023. So if you haven't picked up this series in single issues, definitely go check it out when it hits the trade. Uh, section in your local comic book shop. And uh, Aaron, if you don't have anything else to say before we head out of here, we want to say thank you so much to Brad and Lisa for allowing us to put this little teaser in here and let everyone know what our favorite comic of the year was. And uh, we look forward to, at some point, coming back on the Comic Book Couples Counseling and or having them on our show over at the Oblivion Bar, which Aaron will tell you where you can find or where you guys can find us. Absolutely. You can find us anywhere you can find your favorite podcasts. If you look us up on social media, brother, it's at Oblivion Bar Pod anywhere you look. And that's one, two, three, you're out of here. We're out of here, brother. We'll see you next time. Peace. And this is where we reveal that everyone who has named their favorite comic of the year is wrong. Except for Kat, Chris, and Aaron, because <laughs> Do a Powerbomb is the best limited series of 2022, and it is also our favorite comic of 2022. That's not fair, Brad. That's not true. No. Nope. Because Lance from Comic Book oh. Keepers was also correct last episode. He named Dua Powerbomb as the best comic book of 2022, and he was correct. Everybody else was yes. wrong. Get your consolation prices by the door. It's a towel. Daniel Warren Johnson just makes comics that are perfect for Brad and Lisa. And I love him for it. I don't think he can make a comic that won't ultimately end up being our favorite comic of the year. Murder Falcon. Amazing. Beta Ray Bill. So Wonder good. Woman Dead Earth. Loved it. These are heart comics that we hold and treasure dearly. And do a powerbomb by that last issue. It's possible, Lisa. I, I, like, I'm, I'm almost nervous to say this. Do a powerbomb might 
end up being my favorite Daniel Warren Johnson comic. I'm not sure, but it, it feels like that's going to happen. Do a power bomb was the most exciting book to pick up from the stands yes. on a Wednesday. Yes. Because each issue ended with like a, wait, what, how? Yeah. Is this even possible? And I think like so much of great storytelling is subverting expectation. And a lot of times the default is, oh, it's so much bigger than you think. Yes. But what Daniel does is like, it's so much bigger than you think, but it's also so much smaller than you think. It's so so much more intimate. It's so much more personal. And I've talked to so many people and Kat said this, like, and and this is what I relate to, like, I am not a wrestling fan. Yeah, neither am I. I would dare to say, I hope Jason Ayers' feelings are not hurt are not hurt by this, but I'm a little bit of a like a wrestling skeptic. Jason, I'm not like that. I'm my heart's open. <laughs> but like the idea of, well, wrestling is fake. It's pretend, and therefore the stakes are not real. And I think what not Daniel- true. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we I'm can about, have a debate about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to debate with <laughs> okay, myself. Good, let me good. Let me resolve my inmost feelings uh, with the help of Daniel Warren Johnson. Okay. Is that just because it's imaginary, just because wrestling is a story, does not mean that the stakes are not real. Right. The stake, and I'm not just talking about life and death stakes. Like, they're doing something athletic, they're doing something really dangerous, and what happens in that ring can change- the course of your life in that way. I'm saying like every time you take part in a story, every time you are a cog in a narrative, what you do matters. And I think to U.S. Steel Rose, wrestling was her world. Wrestling was her pride. Less Wrestling was the way that she illustrated the meaning of life to the world and to her daughter. And then for her daughter to follow in her footsteps also affirmed what she believed to be her pride and her life and her meaning. As Kat was saying in her clip, each issue of Do a Powerbomb just ratcheted up the narrative internally and externally. When you got to the end of the second issue, the comic became something that you were not expecting. And then every other issue, something would occur that just catapulted the stakes for our hero. And then we get to the second to last issue, issue six, and the reveal of that one. I was really nervous when we got to that particular character and again I, this is a comic I desperately do not want to spoil when we got to that reveal I was like well what the hell is this comic going to ultimately be how is Daniel Warren Johnson going to wrap up this story in a satisfying way and I would say that all through the seventh issue I was enjoying it but still unsure until really the last panel of the comic book. And when the last panel of the comic book dropped, I mean, I was on my feet. It was like the only other experience that I had this year that was close to this one was when we were watching Andor and we got to the never more than 12 moment where Andy Serkis says that line. And I'm like on my feet, like, yes, whoa, what a, what a landing. I think what Daniel illustrates so perfectly with do a power bomb is that in wrestling they are fighting for something that is bigger than true and then in our lives in our heart what our dreams are what our aspirations are they're also 
all bigger than true. And they're all something that we ultimately cannot achieve mm. and we cannot win. Yeah. But the most important thing is that we fight for that, whatever that thing is, whatever that bigger than true is, with our entire hearts and our entire bodies. Like, that is what life is about. And I think we said this last year when we named Beta Ray Bill our favorite limited series of the year. And the Oblivion Bar guys, Aaron and Chris, mentioned this as well. When you read a Daniel Warren Johnson comic, like when you first turn the page or when you see those solicitations, you go like, that is a rad comic. That looks gnarly. That looks epic. That's metal as hell. I love it. But inevitably, as you are reading a Daniel Warren Johnson comic, and that is certainly true with Do a Powerbomb, it is the heart and the heartbreak that pulls you in and makes you a new person. Like his his books have the ability to transform you in a way that other creators' books don't. They don't dare to do it. Daniel Warren Johnson puts his heart in every issue. And because he does that, you can find your heart in every issue. And his comics are sleights of hand. You know, you're you're focusing on this one thing in his left hand and you're going like, oh, I, I know what this is. I know what this is. And then the right hand comes in and that's where the trick occurs. And the trick is the meaning of life. Yes, 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 yes. And yeah, and you are changed. You are forever changed by do a powerbomb. I certainly was. We've discussed off mic if it's like not fair to put Daniel Moore and Johnson comics like in the same like tub as the rest of our comics. Because we're such marks for them. Yeah. And they are so aligned with what we specifically, Brad and Lisa, want to get out of a comic. Like comic book couples counseling is all about like, okay, I need to know more about myself. Let's read a comic and see if we learn anything. Yeah. But at the same time, this is our stampies. This is our podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're celebrating Danny Ward Johnson. And when he puts out his next comic book, uh, whatever that may be, it'll probably end up being our favorite comic of that year as well. No pressure, Daniel. Do your thing. Like, you don't have to go to the top of the mountain every single time. Yeah, and uh, shout out to the Oblivion Bar again because their interview with Danny Warren Johnson about Doer Powerbomb just before that book came out is a really delightful listen and a great tease now to promote ourselves for our conversation with Daniel Warren Johnson that'll be coming up in several weeks right before the trade paperback drops in March. I cannot wait. Yeah. It'll be so fun. It's gonna be so much fun. And that's it, Lisa. We're done. The stampies are over. That means, you know what? What? It is now January 6th, oh. and our year has started. Yeah, <laughs> new year, new us. Coming up next on Comic Book Couples Counseling will be a Creator Corner conversation with Alex Segura talking about Blood Oath and the Black Ghost, which just came out on trade paperback from Dark Horse Comics. We also have a Creator Corner conversation with Kelly Thompson and Meredith McLaren talking about their new image comic series, Black Cloak, and, and... We have our last Ronin conversation, our final session with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Very excited to get that episode out there. I'm really proud of all the work we've done around the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles over the last couple of months. And I'm, I'm just aching to discuss the last Ronin, which is such a brutal and sad, but 
compelling comic and an, a, a unique way to end our chat on the sibling dynamics of the Ninja Turtles. An extra special, enormous, plushy, squishy, warm, heartfelt thank you to every single one of you who contributed to this episode. You are the people who make comics discourse fun and funny and special, and we are so excited to be part of this community with y'all. And then also, those of you who have contributed your ears and listened to these two episodes, we are so excited to share these books with you. We are so grateful to you for listening, and we can't wait to spend more time hanging out with you in the new year. I wish I had said all of that before I started shamelessly self-promoting <laughs> our upcoming episodes. No, I think it's like a nice bookend. Okay, I do agree with everything Lisa said. We gotta end with gratitude. Absolutely. It is really time to wrap it up because thanks to David Brooke, I have to read The Forgotten Blade, like, right now. So where can our <laughs> listeners send the words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Also, please go to those show notes, find everyone who contributed to this episode, and celebrate their good work as well. Lisa... Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you, however? However? However. However, I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter and Hive, kind of. I should really post some stuff. Yeah, I gotta get back to Hive. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, oh. where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. Ooh. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Hive Social at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? It's been a while. Yeah, it has. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, happy new year. Yeah! Keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Don't you dare cut that pause. I won't. It's the amazing spider talk. Is that how the theme goes? No, I'm glad I left a space. Edit that shit out.